Open your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5. We began at the first of this year looking in 1 Peter, chapter 5. Down around verse 10, the Lord is using this verse to set our expectation for what he wants to do in our lives and our families as a, as a body this year and beyond. 1 Peter 5.10 says, May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. I know it's been a few weeks since we've gotten back to this, but you haven't forgotten it, have you? You haven't forgotten these words, right? What words? May the God of all grace do what? Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle. Come on, say it again. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. This is what I believe the Lord is doing in our lives individual, individually and in, a, in the life of this church, this family. The God of all grace is perfecting us. He's establishing us. He is strengthening us and settling us. And man, when you are in that kind of shape, what are you? Better than you've ever been before. And that's the word the Lord gave us about 2022, that this year would be better than ever. And you remember, that's the answer to the question, right? What question? How you doing? What's the answer? Better than ever. And I've been seeing church family around town, and I got to thank you so much. You are helping me with this. I've seen no less than two or three people that have been like, hi, pastor, how are you? And I say, oh, I'm doing great. And they, mean, and they say, oh, you mean better than ever? <laughs> yes, I do mean that. Thank you. Better than ever. And this is the picture, I believe, that these words paint. Perfected. This word means restored. This word means to be equipped. This word means to be mature and to be developed. And, and if there was something that was missing from your life and, and the God of all grace went to work and he perfected you, he added to you, he restored to you what was lost and, and then some, what are you? You're better than you were. You're better than ever. When you've been established and you're on the course that God's called you and your life to be on, you are better than you were when you were wandering, when you were lost, when you were aimless. Better than you were. Better than ever. When you're strengthened. Huh? When you were weak, but the God of all grace and his word went to work in you and his joy went to work in you, strengthening you. From the inside out, strengthening you, spirit, soul, and body. You were weak, but now you're strong. What are you? Better. Better than ever. Why? Because stronger is better than weak in every area. Spirit, soul, body, materially, financially. Strong in, in your immune system. Man, we need that right now, don't we? To be strong, to fight this trash that's going around. Better than we've ever been. To be settled. To have our hearts fixed and established, trusting in him. To not be wavering, not be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, but to be settled. To be settled. This is something many people live their entire lives without. But you and I don't have to. Because we've got a God and he is the God of all grace. And he's working in us to perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle us. But what we've had to deal with over the last several weeks is the statement that's sort of sandwiched in there between the God of all grace and what he wants to do. And it's what the Bible says here in verse 10, after you've suffered a while, and I know it's not something at least on the surface level that you'd think, man, do we really want to talk about that? Yeah, you do. And we've spent, this I think is our sixth session talking about this. And you're going, I don't know, I'm not sure I want to talk about it once, much less six times. But that just shows we're not thinking the right way. That just shows we've got some sort of traditional religious idea of what it means to suffer. But the question is, is there a suffering according to the will of God? And I've told you this, but I believe the body of Christ fits very neatly into two different groups, especially when it comes to suffering. Us and everybody else. And much of the rest of the body of Christ, if you talk about suffering, they just sort of connect it to anything that hurts. And whatever's going on in my life, if it's pain, if it's suffering, 
well, God is sovereign, so it must be his will. He must be doing this. This must be something he's doing in my life. On the other hand, you've got people like us, people of faith, people who are confident in the goodness of God and believe in the goodness of God. And we sort of err on the other side of it. It's like, no, I've been redeemed from all that. Well, there are things, and we've already talked about it today, that you have been redeemed from, but you can't just like take sections out of Scripture. You cannot perform surgery on Scripture. None of you are qualified. What did we call it a few weeks ago? A scripture-ectomy? You can't do that. It's not allowed. It's in there for a reason, but it's in there for your good. And if you're, if you're trying to ignore it, it just shows you don't know what he's saying. So we've got to find out. And the Bible says in the book of Philippians that it has not only been given to us, and that word given is the word grace, to believe in him, to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer with him. That's been given to us. I got to tell you a funny story. This week... I was down in the springs and I was running a couple of errands. I was alone in the car. I don't normally do this, but I was just like scanning radio stations, just one right after another, like you would the television. I, I don't do this often, but I was doing that. And I came across somebody teaching, somebody preaching. It was audio from a, a church. I don't know if they were local or somewhere else in the nation, but there's a guy preaching. And I like preaching, so I just stopped and listened for a little bit. And a few minutes into it, as he's wrapping up his message, he gets to that verse in Philippians, the very one I just quoted you. And he said, it, not only has it been given to us to believe in him, but also to suffer with him. And when he said that, the very next statement out of his mouth was, those health, wealth, and prosperity preachers would do good to pay a little more attention to this. And I thought, well, wait a second. I'm one of those, and I'm six weeks into a series on this, and most of what I got, I got from my elders who are one of those, and I thought, now what about this? Lord, talk to me about this, and what he drew my attention to was as soon as he read the word suffering, he immediately connected it in contrast to health, wealth, and prosperity. But shake your Bible as hard as you can, and nothing about those two things is going to fall out of there. In other words, why are we connecting those? Why does that automatically mean suffering sickness? You cannot find it. Why does it automatically mean suffering poverty, affliction, and lack? You can't find it. Now, those health, wealth, and prosperity preachers would, be do, would do good to look a little more at it. Well, I am looking a little more at it. Thank you very much. Now, I don't know who that was, and I didn't, I'm not interested in totally finding out. I did write an imaginary email in my mind, but I didn't send it. So. Imaginary emails do a lot less damage than actual ones. So we are, we are taking a look at that. But you have to ask ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, is there a suffering that's according to the will of God? And you can read about it, and really this whole book of 1 Peter deals with that. He said in chapter four, just one chapter before where we're reading here, he said in verse 12, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. We might say it like this. Don't freak out. Don't lose it just because you're going through something. Don't think it's strange. The fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, now this is big for today, when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Verse 14, if you are reproached, somebody say reproached, this is the suffering. This has nothing to do with sickness. This has nothing to do with oppression poverty, lack, or anything else Jesus redeemed us from. He says, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, he didn't say if you're sick for the name of Christ. He didn't say if you've got cancer for the name of Christ. Did he? 
if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Hmm. Well, that's one way of looking at it, I guess. For the spirit of glory, somebody say glory. And of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. Verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody. Isn't that interesting? Gossip is mentioned in the same breath as murder. He said, make sure you're not suffering because you're gossiping, because that is not a suffering according to the will of God. Make sure you're not suffering as an evildoer. Make sure you're not suffering for your own faults. He's talking specifically about being reproached. He said, make sure you're not suffering as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Verse 19, skip down. It says, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So there you see it. There is a suffering that is according to the will of God. And in those very verses, you also see a suffering that's not according to the will of God. So part of what you and I have to do when we're experiencing pain is be quick to identify <laughs> is this something I'm supposed to be resisting? And we talked about that several weeks ago. We talked about, I won't take time to go back over all of it, but right there in 1 Peter 5, you can see several sufferings that are according to, to the will of God. You remember we talked about the suffering of submission? That is a suffering according to the will of God. Listen, Jesus hasn't redeemed you from submitting. That's still... That's still a thing. <laughs> That's still something you and I have to do. And what does it mean to submit? To bring yourself under. To bring your will under the will of God. And there is a suffering that's involved in that. Jesus experienced it in the garden when there's so much pressure on him just moments before the cross and it is weighing down on him so much that he begins to sweat great drops of blood. He is under pressure to not go through with this and you hear it. My God, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, but then what happened? Then what did he say? But not my will, yours be done. What's he doing? Bringing his will under the will of the Father. Submitting. Showing us how to do it, yes, but not redeeming us from it. We still have that to do. And it is still pressure on the flesh. Have you found that out? Well, I believe in submission. I just don't know if I'd call it suffering. Then you've never really done it. Because if you'd ever really done it, you would know this flesh will go kicking and screaming before it submits. And that's why Jesus said right there in that same place in that garden, the spirit is willing, but the flesh, that thing is weak. The flesh is weak. You cannot depend on the flesh for anything. You're going to have to access the willingness of the spirit of God in you. And your spirit is willing to submit. Say amen if you believe it. Amen. We also talked about the suffering of resistance. That's right there in 1 Peter 5 too. Where he wrote and said, your adversary. My what? Adversary. Man, to listen to a lot of people preach, you wouldn't even know there was a devil. And everything bad is all somehow the mysterious sovereign will and plan of God that we could never understand. But if that's the truth, then what are these verses doing in here? What do I need with an adversary if God's the one hurting me? Come on, we got to wake up, church. You've got an adversary. You've got an enemy. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. And that's what he lives to do night and day is accuse, 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 accuse. And you've got an adversary. And what does the Bible tell you to do? Resist him. Don't put up with his trash. Don't tolerate it. And definitely don't blame God for it. Resist him steadfast in the faith. You got to know what you're supposed to be yielding to and what you're supposed to be resisting. 
And when it comes to suffering, if it's something that Jesus has redeemed you from, things like we've talked about already, your sicknesses or diseases or anything listed in the curse of the law, you don't yield to that stuff. You resist that stuff. You don't put up with it in your life. Resist it. But what he said in 1 Peter 5 after he said to resist, he said, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same things are happening in your brother's all over the world. There's a lot of revelation in that statement right there. We have such a tendency to be so insulated and so self-centered and self-focused. This is why he had to write to him and say, don't think it's strange when you're going through stuff. And people still do. I'm the only one this ever happens to. I'm the only one going through this. I'm the only one with this problem. No, you're not. You got family all over the world dealing with the same stuff. You got family in this church. There might be somebody on your row dealing with the same junk you've been dealing with. You got family dealing with the same stuff. Now, what he was referring to right there when he said, resist him steadfast in the faith because you got family everywhere dealing with this, he was talking about this reproaching, this persecution. That is our suffering. I, I want to know why, why when somebody says it's been given to you to suffer, why immediately does your mind go to sickness when there is way too many verses for us to get to today that make it so plain, it's persecution. Jesus dealt with it. He's our example of how to go through it, but he didn't redeem you from it. He told you it's coming. These scriptures we're looking at right now, they're telling you it's coming. And why do you think the Lord would have us talking about this right now. It's coming. Oh, pastor, don't say it. Don't say it. The Bible said it. Okay. It's not me. It's coming. And I'm not trying to prophesy something into your life. I'm just reading scriptures to you. Persecution is something you and I have to deal with. And it, it is something that's in our future. Now you start talking about this particularly in the Western church. And a lot of times you hear people kind of get chirpy about it. Oh, you don't know anything about persecution. It's people in other places around the world. They're the ones being persecuted. And I, I will admit that over here, we've been a little thin skinned with some things, throwing fits because our favorite coffee place won't say Merry Christmas <laughs> or throwing fits over this thing, that thing, or the other, just because somebody won't acknowledge or somebody pokes fun at our faith. And we've been a little thin-skinned about it. We've thought it strange. Oh, how could anybody say this about my Jesus? They don't know him like you do. And they definitely don't love him like you do. And yes, there are places around the world. And the level of persecution they deal with is life-threatening. And they live under the threat of their lives and livelihoods being taken from them were they to publicly acknowledge their faith in Jesus. And I realize that we don't have as much of that perhaps here. But in the time that we have today, what I want you to do is not so much focus on the way the persecution manifests, but what's driving it. What's motivating it. Because whether it is somebody, you know, just failing to acknowledge the reality of Christ or whether it's from that all the way to somebody's life being threatened, it's the same stuff behind it. It's the same spirit motivating it. I got a lot of scripture here for you today, and I don't think we've got time to get to all of it. But um, Jesus... In the book of Matthew chapter 13, Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 8, tells what we call the parable of the sower. And we've talked about that quite a bit in here in time past. 
But he talks about how the, the seed got sown on different kinds of grounds. You remember this. And, and it got sown four times, but it only worked once because it fell on wayside ground. It fell on stony ground. It fell on thorny ground. And because of the kind of ground it fell on, it failed to produce anything until it fell on good ground. But then when Jesus went back and, and explained the parable to them, he talked about what every kind of those grounds, what each one represented. And the wayside ground were people who heard the word, but it didn't get in. It was hard ground, packed ground, and the seed just sat on top. And it represented a hard heart where somebody hears the word, but it doesn't penetrate. He said, Satan comes immediately to steal the word. So that word never got in. And because it never got in, just like a seed sitting on top of the ground, if it doesn't get below the surface, that thing's never producing any fruit. But then he went on to talk about a different kind of ground, stony ground. And he said, this kind of ground, he said it's shallow. And it's a shallow layer of earth with hard stone beneath it. So because that earth was soft or softer than wayside ground, the seed hit it and it it went in. He said, these are people who receive the word with joy. And you know, that's the right way to receive the word. That is the right way to respond when you hear truth, to receive it with joy. Even when it spanks you real good, even when it hurts, it hurts so good. Even when it corrects, even when it directs, even when it perfects, it's truth, man. And if you will be honest about it, it will light up your heart. It will bring joy to your life and you respond to it in joy. That's my word. That's my answer. That's what I needed. Yes and amen. I believe that. But Jesus went on to say, but because it was shallow earth, he said the sun was up scorched it, that represents heat, right? And he said, because it had no root, it couldn't penetrate down beneath that, that hard layer of stone. It couldn't take root. He said, when persecution and tribulation arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So he equated the sun and the heat to persecution and tribulation. The heat is on. Now, when you put those two words together, persecution, tribulation, why don't you say them with me? Persecution, tribulation. They have a very similar meaning. And if you were to study them, there's one word that comes with both of them, and it's the word pressure pressure. What is tribulation? It's pressure. What is persecution? It's pressure. Specifically, when you study it, you find that it's pressure that drives away. And that's the picture he painted with his words. He said, as soon as persecution and tribulation arise for the word's sake, immediately what happens? They stumble. That word means they, they trip up, they fall. But other translations say they're offended. So what's the connection there? Well, think about two people who were close, but something got between them and they were offended at each other. Now they're distant. That's what that stumbling. If I were to stumble right now and fall, there would be a falling away. You ever heard of two people that had a falling out? That's where it comes from. Offended. A falling away away. They were close. Now they're separated. This is what's behind persecution. Pressure that will drive you away. Away from what? The word. Persecution arises for the word's sake. It's pressure being applied to you. It's heat it's like you're on the stove and it's being turned up and the motivation behind it is to drive you away, to separate you from God, yes, from his word, sure, but check this out, from his people, from the people that he's connected you to, pressure that drives away. Let me show this to you in a couple of different instances. Go with me. Oh, thank you, Lord. 
You, you go to Matthew chapter 26. And while you're looking for that, let me put this on the screen. Acts chapter eight, verse one. Can we put that on the screen? You're looking for Matthew 26. But let's put on the screen, please, Acts chapter eight. When you find Matthew 26, I want you to look up here on the screen and notice this. This was in the early days of the church before Paul, the apostle, became Paul, the apostle. He was Saul, who was persecuting. Doing what? Persecuting, persecuting the church. And it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that Saul was consenting to his, talking about Stephen's death. You know this account. He was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church. Now, there hadn't been. There was maybe some religious persecution, and that's, that's what this is. But, but up until this time, this church was growing. We talked about this. There was so much grace on this church. They were growing from 120 in an upper room. And by the end of the day, there were 3,000 people in the church. And after one miracle, 2,000 more got added. So this church by this time is who knows how many thousands of people, 10 plus thousand people. But this persecution arose against the church and it called it a great persecution arose against the church, which go on, let's look at this, which was at Jerusalem. So the church was at Jerusalem. They began to be persecuted. And I want you to notice what happened. They were all what? scattered. That was the result of that pressure, this scattering. They were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. This was Satan's motive behind the persecution. You might think, well, he just wants everybody dead. He just wants to kill people. Perhaps, but there's something Mm, no, something more. Satan knows that if he can disconnect you from whatever's bringing you life, he can cut off all that life just by separating you from it. This is what persecution does. The reason I'm telling you this church is we're going to have to be eyes wide open for this stuff. This persecution arose against the church and immediately the result was a scattering. They were thousands and thousands strong, one body, one unit, one family, loving each other. And the Bible talks to us about what they were doing. Not, not one of them said that anything they had was their own. They were blessing each other. They were feeding each other. They were fellowshipping with each other, encouraging one another. And this persecution arose. The sun came up. The heat was on. And they were scattered. Now, a side note to this is what Satan wasn't expecting. That all those people that scattered went to all those places and started preaching. Don't you know Satan was like, oh, <laughs> oops. But you, can you see the motive behind it though? To hit a group of people and, and to put so much pressure on them that they get driven away. Just got to get out of Jerusalem. Why? Because there's people here who want to kill us. Pressure. In Matthew 26, notice some of these same things. This is just before Jesus goes to the cross. Are you believing with me today? So I, I've never preached some of these things, and I'm, I'm believing God for revelation right now. In Matthew chapter 26, this is just after the Lord's Supper. And Jesus said to them in verse 31, all of you will be made to do what? Stumble. Talking to his disciples, to the closest ones to him. All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. It's that same word. You're going to be offended. We're going to be separated. All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Because of the persecution that was coming on Jesus, look at the ensuing result. The people around him leave him. 
And this is what is so devilish about this. Satan can pick one individual and put so much heat on them. Some ministry leader, some head of something and put so much heat and so much pressure on them. It's not even on the people around them, but because of the pressure that's on them, there's fear that comes with the people around them and they start to do what? Disconnect, separate, scatter. Pressure that drives away. Now, when he said this, Peter <laughs> argued with Jesus and said to him in verse 33, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. You got to be careful of spiritual pride, thinking that you are not susceptible to this stuff. I'll never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I might say, well, actually, I say to you this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. They're all there together in a room and Jesus says, guys, I got to give you a heads up. Pressure's coming. Persecution's coming. And they're coming for me. And because of that, you're going to leave me. You're going to scatter. And Peter, the ringleader of the group says, no, 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 no. I love you. I love you too much. I love you so much. Even if all the rest of these guys leave you, I'm not leaving you. I'm with you and I'll go down with this ship. I will die for you. Jesus said, really? Because in a few hours you will deny me. What is denying? It is the failure to acknowledge you remember what happened, right? They said, hey, uh, weren't you with him? Aren't you one of them? I don't even know him. Fear, pressure that is driving Peter away from Jesus. Now you couple this with Luke's account of it. And in the same place, Jesus said to Peter, he said, uh, Peter, Satan has desired you. He has desired to sift you. Does anybody know what it means? What sifting means? To sift something, they've got, they've got agricultural equipment that will sift stuff. You, you, put, you put wheat in a sifting machine and it, and it will shake it and it will move it so that it separates the seed from the husk. Am I saying that right? Somebody may know more about this. But the point of it is it separates. A sifting is a separation. Jesus said, Peter, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your faith won't fail because Satan has desired to separate you. And if you read the rest of that account, you find that when they arrested Jesus, this is literally what the scripture says. Peter followed at a distance. It's already started. I'll die with you. He said that like half an hour ago. And now he's already at a distance. Um, if people did this to Jesus, guess who else they'll do it to? It'll happen. If they bailed on him, who else are people susceptible to bail on? You, me. Why would they do that? Pressure. Pressure, pressure that drives away. And we read the scripture about it a moment ago, and we'll see it again here in a moment. But the main thing, and here's what is driving that pressure. Here's what's driving that persecution, whether it's in the United States or somewhere in the Middle East or in Africa, it's shame. Shame. And actually, whether you know it or not, we're seeing it now more here than we ever have before. It's called canceling. This culture that people have created, this, have you heard these words? Cancel culture. When somebody says something that the populace, or not even the populace, some minority group doesn't like, they throw such a fit over it that what? We get that person canceled. 
We get them fired. We get them, they lose their income. They lose their livelihood. But have you seen what happens as a result of that? That all that pressure gets put on one person, but look what happens. Everybody that was around them, step back. We We don't want to be associated with that. We don't want to be seen with that. I deny them. Shame. This is what's driving this stuff. Trying to shame you. Trying to ashame you to the point where you will disconnect from your faith. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming for the church. This culture of attempting to cancel, it's coming for the church. And you are going to have a decision to make in the moment when the heat is on. Folks, I have, I have no doubt about it. I grew up in a family. I'm not talking about somebody I know about. I'm talking about I went to the gas station one day and walked up to pay for my gas and looked down and my grandfather's face is on the front page of the paper. And I thought, oh, Papa, what are you doing there? And I threw a couple of quarters down, bought the newspaper, brought it home. Dad, have you seen this? No, I hadn't seen that. And that kind of thing happened at least once to twice every year of my childhood. And it was like our family, our ministry was in the news cycle. And when things were slow in the local area, let's, let's talk about that Copeland guy again. And I experienced it. I experienced. See, I grew up at a, at a Christian school. I went to school with a bunch of guys and girls that all went to church. There was something like 80 different churches represented in this little school I went to. And, you know, it's a great thing, and I was thankful for it. But uh, it was a pretty denominational place. It was, it was housed at a Baptist church, and a lot of people there represented mainline denominations. Let me just say, a lot of people weren't exactly Kenneth Copeland partners and fans. And so when Papa was in the paper, I mean, it, was, it wasn't just in the paper. It was in my classroom. And I felt that pressure. The pressure to distance yourself from someone. It's real. I grew up in a family that was put up in front of people and the pressure was on, on a real regular basis. Why am I telling you that? Because I will not be shocked and I refuse to be surprised, nor will I think it strange when it happens here. When I stand at the gas station and look down and, oh, me, (laughs) what am I doing there? Hey, it's already happened. Not only is it it coming, it's already been here. You and I are going to have a decision to make. Do we stay together? Hmm? Do we stick to each other? What about when the pressure's on you? Hmm? As your pastors, we have a decision to make. Oh, uh, we've got some, we've got some congregants that, uh, some folks don't like, and, and they've made some bold statements. What do we do? Uh, is it this? Do we separate or do we draw near? Huh? Do we scatter or do we stick? Now it's easy to say that. I love you. I'll die with you. And then you look up in half an hour and you're like, man, it's a little hot in here. I'm going to see what other church is not in the paper today. Pressure. Pressure that drives away. The same thing happened to Paul. And I want to read this to you as we begin to wrap it up. Thank you, Lord. Go to 2 Timothy with me. Everybody okay? (laughs) Me too. 2 Timothy, a lot of this Sarah ministered to us on several weeks ago. Uh, I want to remind you of some of it. Let me just read to you just this entire chapter and I'll I'll move through it quickly. But Paul wrote to this young man and bear in mind, he's writing from prison. The, the 
world Timothy lived in had changed very much from 1 Timothy to 2. 1 Timothy, Paul's writing to a young pastor of a, of a growing church, of a church that's growing exponentially by the tens of thousands. And by some reports, there was upwards of 100,000 people in this church. But between these two letters, persecution started. Now, what had only ever been religious persecution from other religious people persecuting these religious people, Christians, now has become political persecution. And it's got that much more weight and that much more power behind it. And Nero, the emperor, who was an absolute lunatic, had arrested Paul, put him in prison, charged him with a crime he didn't commit, charged Paul and other Christians with burning down Rome, laid all the blame on them. They started the fire, and really Nero did it. Anyway, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. And what has happened between 1st and 2nd Timothy is this church that had gotten so big is now being scattered. People are leaving by the thousands and tens of thousands. And Paul's writing to Timothy about it. And he said in verse three, I thank my God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see, to see you, being mindful of your tears. Now you know why he's crying. Everybody's leaving him that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice. I'm persuaded it is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift. This is what Sarah talked to us about. Put life in that fire again. Why is it going out? The pressure, the persecution. Put life in the fire again. It's in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse seven, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. That word fear is the word timidity. It's the word cowardice. He's telling Timothy, you are not a coward. Don't shrink back. God didn't give you that. He gave you power. He gave you love. He gave you a sound mind. Therefore, verse eight, are you ready? Do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That's don't be ashamed of the word. Don't be ashamed of the message of Jesus. Don't be ashamed to testify what he's done for you. And don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Verse 11, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I suffer these things. For this reason, I suffer sickness. No, for this reason, I suffer oppression. No, for this reason, because I'm a preacher called by God and because I'm a preacher that won't back down from this message, I suffer persecution. For this reason, I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. I'm not backing up. I'm not drawing back. I'm not scattering. I'm not disconnecting from Jesus for I know whom I have believed. I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Verse 13, hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you've heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing, which was committed to you keep by the Holy spirit who dwells in us. This, you know that all, listen, listen, this, you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me. If Jesus dealt with it, if Paul dealt with it, guess who else can? You, me. And I tell you, I'm still a baby pastor, just a year and some into it, but I have learned a lot about people in the last 12 to 18 months. And I have learned that people do two things better than they do anything else. They come and they go. As people, this is what we do better than we do anything else. We come, we get excited, and then one day we look up and we're like, eh, 
And we go. And what the Lord told me about it, and it, believes, it, it applies to me as a pastor, and I know it applies to you and your walk with the Lord too. He said, Jeremy, don't let your head get big when they come, and don't let your heart get broke when they go. And he had to correct me on that. I was just thinking over the last couple of days, a handful of couples that have come or that came early on. Hey, we're here. We want to, we want to help. We want to be a part. And they're not here anymore. And, and that's fine. That's between them and the Lord. But I noticed one thing. There was a common thread and it was frustration with where they were before. With the churches and the ministries they were a part of before. And I think somewhere, I know this was true in the back of my mind, and I had to repent for it, that as they were coming to us with, you know, all this frustration, well, you know, the leadership at where I was and the way they did things there and in the back of my mind, I'm going, oh yeah, we're going to fix that. This is going to be a church you'll never want to leave. <laughs> What's that? Pride. Pride. And I had to repent of it. I didn't, I didn't recognize it as it's... As it's happening, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I see that frustration. Of course, well, we're going to be like this and we're going to be like that. You know what I got out of it? The Lord said to me, Jeremy, beware of frustrated people. If they were frustrated there, they'll be frustrated here. Don't let your head get big when they come. Don't let your heart get broke when they go. And Paul is saying, everybody in Asia has turned away from me. He said, among whom were Phygelus and Hermogenes. I mean, he just named them in the Bible, these poor guys. <laughs> the Lord grant mercy, he said, to the household of Onesiphorus, or how are you saying it? For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. And skip ahead to chapter three. He said to Timothy in verse 10, you've carefully followed my doctrine and manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, love, perseverance. Are these good things for us to follow? When we have men and women that the Lord's put in our lives as examples and elders and leaders, would it be good to follow their faith? Would it be good to follow their long suffering? How about their love? Would it be good to follow their perseverance? How about verse 11? Would it be good to follow their persecutions? Oh, he said, you followed me in persecutions, in afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Now here's what you got to hear today. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Man, that's what you got to keep in your heart. When the heat is on and the pressure is trying to disconnect you and drive you away. You got to remember this. The Lord is my deliverer and he will deliver me out of all persecution and affliction. But verse 12, he said, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You will. Then into chapter four. Oh, thank you, Lord. He said in verse nine, be diligent to come to me quickly. Why? Because Demas has forsaken me. Having loved this present world, he's departed for Thessalonica, Christians for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Listen to this right here. Verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Are you kidding me? Paul, this man who the spirit of God is using to reveal to the body of Christ then and forever this great mystery of living by grace through faith. And he's got one guy. Only Luke is with me. Why? Because when the pressure got turned up, everybody scattered. Everybody distanced themselves. People came to him. Yeah, but then people left him. Now, if you were to go through here, you'd probably see some that left for one reason or the other. Some, well, he tells you one loved this present world. Others, he sent places. But the bottom line is there was a scattering. There was a disconnecting. And he's writing to Timothy saying, come, come to me quickly. All have forsaken me. He said, bring Mark with you. He's useful to me in the ministry. 
I'm saying this to you today because I don't want us to be surprised when these kinds of things happen either here or in the body of Christ in places around the world. Oh, thank you, Lord. But there's a bottom line to all of this, and Paul gets to it. I believe it's here in 2 Timothy. It is in that same chapter. He said in, oh, thank you, Lord. I like this, verse 13. Bring the cloak I left. I forgot my coat. Will you bring that when you come? Verse 14. He said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. I wonder if we could pray that. But what you're doing is you're putting it in the hands of the Lord. He said, you also must be aware of him for he has greatly resisted my words. Verse 16, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. That is spiritual maturity. That when people do bail on you and when they're scattered and there's no one to be found, you're praying for them. Lord, don't charge it to them. Like Jesus on the cross, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He said, no one stood with me. But here it is, verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and did what? Oh, somebody could get excited. May the God of all grace perfect, establish, and strengthen if you will endure the persecution and not disconnect, not scatter, not bail, guess what's coming? Strength, baby. Strength like you've never had it, like you've never seen it, like you've never felt it before. And he said, the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me. Paul wrote in the book of Romans and he said, we have this treasure talking about the glory of God in earthen vessels. And he said, we are pressed. There's that pressure. We're pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Why? Because I got this glory on the inside of me that's pushing back, strengthening me. Even though this earth and clay vessel's being pressed, I'm not being crushed. I'm pressed, but I'm not crushed. He said, I am persecuted, but not forsaken. Come on, this is what I was trying to get to all day today. This is you, this is me. Persecuted, yes, but not forsaken. Not forsaken. Let my mother and my father forsake me, but you will take me up. Let all the world turn the heat on. Let the pressure come, the pressure that tries to drive everybody away, but the Lord stands with me. I am pressed, but I am not crushed. I am persecuted, but I am not forsaken. I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. Glory to God. Somebody say it. Persecuted, but not forsaken. You know, this cancel thing. Go ahead, stand up with me. If you stand up, it'll help me shut up. You stand up, I'll shut up. This is really nothing new. Did you know they tried to cancel a guy named Daniel? But you can't cancel a Daniel. I said, you can't cancel a Daniel. The Bible says an excellent spirit was found in him. And even when they tried to cancel him, this is political persecution. They tried to cancel him by passing a law. You can't pray to any other God, but this King for 30 days. So what did he do? Did he get ashamed? Did he scatter? Did he disconnect? That brother went in his house upstairs, opened the window, knelt down and prayed to his God three times a day. In other words, hey, if you didn't see it the first two times, I'm here again. I'm praying and it ain't to that king. Oh God, I love you. You are my God. You are the creator of heaven and earth. I'm your man. You're my God. You're with me. I'm with you and I ain't leaving you. And they said, we knew it. We knew it. We knew it. he would do that. Oh, king. Oh, king. Look, you said, you said, and Daniel prayed. So, you know, canceled. And it broke the king's heart. And he tried all day and night to figure out a way to deliver Daniel. And he couldn't do it because the law had been written and sealed. So what'd they do? 
throw him in to the lion's den. But you can't cancel a Daniel. I said, you can't cancel a Daniel. You can't cancel somebody who is unwilling to be canceled. Somebody who won't distance themselves. Somebody who won't scatter, but will just get more bold. We'll just get louder about it and we'll get, you know, to the point where he's just praising God all the way down the pit. They threw him in the pit. They put a stone over it. The king sealed it. And that king went home and he could not sleep. That messed with him all night long. And he got up early the next morning. Go ahead, guys. And he came out there and they rolled away that stone. Ooh, I like that sound, don't you? They rolled away that stone. And he said, Daniel, was your God able to save you? In other words, are you alone down there? I'm persecuted, but I ain't forsaken. He sent his angel. And his angel stopped the mouths of the lions. And what did the king say? Uncancel him. Get him out of there. And they got him out. That king proclaimed and established that there is one true God, established it, and took everybody else that persecuted him and threw them and their whole family into that pit. And the Bible says they didn't even hit the ground before their bones were crushed. Now, you can't do that. Don't go try crushing bones. You hear me? What you can do is cast the care of it over onto the Lord. Refuse to disconnect. Refuse to scatter. And if this is your family, don't bail on your family. These people who you are sitting around and among right now, if this is the ones the Lord's connected you to, let's not bail on each other. I'll stick with you. Will you stick with me? I'll stick with you. And if you can't and you don't, they're not going to be any hard feelings. I might preach about you a little bit, but it's, it's, you know, you'll be fine. And even those who have come and those who go, Sarah and I check our hearts on a regular basis. Lord, there's not anything in there, right? There's not any bitterness, right? There's not any animosity, right? If there is, Lord, show it to us. We'll get rid of it. We're not hanging on to anything because I'm not letting my heart get broke. I'm not letting my head get big. I'm not letting my heart get broke. Can you take that today? Thank you, Lord. Well, I did it again. Talk too long. Is there something you need to say or add about that? Guys, you got something? All right. Father, we love and worship you today. You are so good to us. We recognize, Lord, there is persecution in this world, but we are your people. And I, I know, Father, that many have said things and voiced their commitment to you and have failed. But I'm asking for grace. I'm asking for help. I'm asking for strength for every one of us to make good on those words that we will not scatter. We will not disconnect. And when persecution arises for the word's sake, we'll let that word go deep down and take root. And we will not separate from it. In Jesus' name. Why don't you say it again? Persecuted, but not forsaken. One more time. Persecuted, but not forsaken. The Lord will stand with me. Glory to God. Altar ministers, would you come please? If you need prayer for anything today, before you go, we've got altar ministers who are ready, willing, and able to pray with you. We want to see you blessed. If you're not born again, if Jesus is not the Lord of your life, don't leave this place today without praying this prayer. There are those here that can lead you in it. Receive his Holy Spirit. We in the service earlier today, we were praying in other tongues. If you don't know what that's about, they do. And they'd be very happy to tell you all about it, show it to you in the word of God and help you receive that free gift. Jesus is God's gift to the world. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' gift to the church. Don't live your life without that. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Did you get anything good out of this today? I'm telling you, the Lord is helping us, blessing us. We're with you, church. We are with you. We are for you. We love you. We're praying for you and believing that all this week you will be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people in Jesus' name. They're going to sing, you be dismissed. We love you, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. 
If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.